we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Good morning, everybody. Oh, you can do better than that. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Hope you had a great spring break. Uh, regardless where you are in the world, uh, you're in another state in this great United States. You're in the sanctuary at True Worth. True Worth, there's some exciting things happening down there, kind of expanding uh, the number of folks that we can reach. And we're so excited about the possibility of, of you partnering to help us expand that reach uh, into downtown Fort Worth. So thank you so much for your openness and your willingness. Hey, if you're new in the house or you just got back because of, uh, you know, you finally got the vaccine or you're feeling more comfortable, man, we're just welcome back. You know, good to see you. Uh, we're still trying to do all these things to keep people safe. Man, so, so glad uh, that you are here. And if you are new for the very first time, I'll be out in the crossing afterwards. i just love to say hello, and others would too, just to connect with you and to kind of give you an official welcome into this place. Uh, we're in a message series. We're calling Life-Changing Words, and here's what we're doing. We're in week five. We're looking at one word every week because we believe that if words are life-changing, if I just focus on that word, that life change really can happen. We really believe that. We also believe that during the season of Lent, if I focus on one word, I can help make space for God. And Lent, these few weeks right before Easter, is about making space for God. So I, I want to give us a pop quiz. And I know some of you are going to go pop quiz. You can start panicking right now. You're, you're kind of, you're collared, you're sweating and everything like that. But some, so relax. It's not going to be that difficult. But a little, little pop quiz on where we are in this series can someone tell me what was the very first word in the series? Yes. That's right. No. That's correct. No was the very first word in the series. What was the second word? Very good. Third word? Sorry. I'm sorry. Just follow what that means with God and saying, I'm sorry. Last week, Chris did a masterful job, and the word was what? Thanks. Just the imp- And would you agree that each one of those words, those four words, if we really understood the depth of those words and begin to practice them in our life, that it would change our life. Now, the word this morning is equally important. This is a word that can give you enormous freedom. This is a word that can give you great meaning to your life. And I want to describe it like this. I want to encourage you with a visual. I want to encourage you, who will, take, take your left hand and make a fist and squeeze it as tight as you can. Just squeeze it, squeeze it, squeeze it, squeeze it. Hold on to it as tight as you can. Just clench it like you're holding on to something and you're not going to let it go. And now keep holding. Now take your other hand and hold it loosely right next beside it. Just very relaxed, just kind of loose. And here's my question for you. Which hand takes the most effort? Which hand requires the most energy? This one. You got a choice this morning on how you're going to live. You're going to live like this, or you're going to live like this. And the word is enough. First thing there in your message notes, if you're taking notes, enough, God. I trust what I have is God's provision for my needs. God, I trust you. I'm not going to clinch. I'm not going to hold on. I'm not going to be scared. I'm not going to be worried. I'm going to live like this, God, that I trust 
that what you provided for me is enough. I trust that God that you are the God of enough. I trust God that you are the God of abundance. And I'm not going to live like this in fear, just holding on. Out of, out of, I'm, I'm going to live like this, God. I'm going to live in this freedom of knowing that I can trust you and that you are with me and you love me and you provide for me and you care for me. I'm going to live this way, God. Now, I don't know about you, but I really want to live like this, but I spend so much time living like this. And in all of us, there's a little bit of a taker, and I don't want to be a taker. You can smell a taker when they walk into a room. We all have a little bit of a taker in us, but down deep, I want to be a giver. I want to be somebody who lives like this, not like this, but my, but my, my leaning is to be like this, I mean, to be like this for all of us. And this is dangerous. Number two in your notes, if you're taking notes. The inability to say enough is fatal. It's fatal. Let's say you have a pet goldfish, and you look at your little goldfish swimming in this little bowl, and you go, oh, little, what a boring little life you have. All you do is swim, swim, swim in a circle. I want to kind of bolster up your life, and you pour all of the goldfish food into the bowl and say, just eat, little goldfish, just eat. What's going to happen to that goldfish? It's going to die. Because the goldfish didn't know when to say enough. When I was growing up, I had a pet turtle for 24 hours. <laughs> it didn't last very long. I saw this little turtle, this little bitty bowl. I said, oh, how boring. Just to kind of live in that little, at least you could eat. I poured it all in there. Kick the bucket, or really say kick the bowl. And in less than 24 hours, it's gone. And we had a little pet parakeet when I was growing up. In the fifth grade, uh, our parakeet, his name was Gigi. And my parents taught us, and when we bought the parakeet from the pestle, they said, listen, do not feed that little parakeet all this food at once. It'll die. And so we learned that you don't give it all at one time. But we had to go out of town for Christmas uh, to go see our grandparents here in Fort Worth. We lived in Gatesville at the time. And so we asked our neighbors to help feed our parakeet while we were gone. And I guess our parakeet didn't understand, our neighbors didn't understand that parakeets don't know how to say Enough, because when we came back, little Gigi was stone dead in the living room floor. Yeah. And you know for your parents, it's traumatic when a kid has a pet die. And you got to go through the things of burial and everything. But we couldn't bury it because it was winter and it was really hard as a rock frozen out there on the ground. And so dad took little Gigi, put her in a little plastic baggie and stuck her in the freezer until the ground thawed out. And so every time you open up the freezer, you look at it and see these little beady little eyes of Gigi saying, remember, say enough or you're going to die. Now what's true with food and animals is true with people too. Lots of research on this. One particular research from Stanford University, who did some research over in Europe and Americans. And they went to the Parisians in Paris and asked them, how do you know when you've had enough food? They said, when I'm full. They come to America, ask Americans, extensive research, the same question, how do you know when you've had enough? Well, my plate is empty. When they stop bringing more. When the TV show I'm watching is over. They even did this 
little study where they put these bowls of soup on these tables. And some of the bowls were bottomless bowls of soup, which meant that the bowls were automatically filling from under the table and the people didn't know it. You didn't know if you were getting a bottomless bowl or just a regular bowl. They would find this research of people who came and ate these bowls of soup that the people with the bottomless bowls of soup ate more. Not because they were hungry, not because they needed it, but because they didn't know when to say enough. Now, what's true with food is true with our money and our possessions and our stuff. Here's what I know. None of us as a child grow up thinking, I want to grow up and I want to live like this. Holding on, just gripping, clenching, everything. Nobody grows up that way. In fact, I would say there's nobody in this room that thinks they're selfish. Everybody in this room believes they are generous. Here's what the research shows. A little book called American Generosity. Extensive research across America. 84% of Americans give only 0 to 1% of what they have to other causes and purposes. 0 to 1%. People who live in the most abundant land of opportunity land of abundance, land of promise, all this wealth that we have, give really, literally nothing. Interesting. Same research show of Christians in America who say they're believers in Jesus Christ. Only 3% give up to the level what the Bible calls the tithe. Now, if you know anything about the Bible... You know, it talks about this thing called the tithe that God introduced to Israel very early in their development and growth. And here in your notes, number three, here's what the tithe is. We're going to get to scripture here in just a second. A tithe, I will give 10% of whatever God brings into my life, here's the key, as an expression of trust and generosity. God, I trust you. God, I trust that you are the God of enough. I trust that you are a God of abundance and generosity. I trust you that all that I have is basically take care of what I need. And as a demonstration of trust and generosity to you, God, I'm going to give the first 10% back to you quickly as a demonstration of that. 97% of people who say they're a follower or a Christian or believer in Jesus Christ do not give to that level. Now this morning, I'm just asking you personally to do a little prayerful and careful thought as you figure out which part of that equation you're in, the 97 or the 3, and to do a little self-examination, are you someone just in general in your life who lives like this, clenching, holding, just grabbing hold of everything as tight as you can for scarcity, believe you're going to run out? We all saw, sees what happens in the world when we panic that we're running out of something. What happens? We run out of something because we live with a scarcity mindset. Instead of a plenty and abundance mindset, as God's word teaches. 
And church, it's just an insane way to live. So many of us live this way. To live like I have enough is totally countercultural. It's totally countercultural. The world tells us you gotta have bigger and more and nicer and all that. You gotta have that. You gotta have, and you gotta get on this treadmill trying to keep up and make it up and take care of it. And it's just exhausting. But we all do it. It's an insane way to live. It's crazy. Dallas and I took our kids to Disney World. I've told you this many times when they were way small. I don't advise to take them when they're way small. We took them when they were way small, all three of them. And uh, it was one of those times where I'm going to say, we're going to get there at 7 o'clock in the morning, and we're going to get our money's worth. And it was a day where it was 98 degrees in the shade in Orlando, and the humidity was like 125 plus or something. All the characters, Woody was passing out. They were giving CPR to Woody. It was so hot. The kids couldn't even go up to Woody. They had a circle around him like a danger zone. By 1.30, my kids are saying, Dad, Dad, can we just go back to the hotel room? Can we? I mean, it's so hot, Dad. Can we? Say, no. You haven't seen Snow White yet. I'm trying to buck them up. We got to see Snow White. Dad, I don't want to see Snow White. I just want, I, we just got to go back to the room. It's too hot. No, you haven't been on the Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, Dad, I don't care about the Pirates. It's just so hot, Dad. Can we go back to the room? No. I paid $75 a day for each one of your tickets to come to the happiest place on earth, and you were going to give me $75 worth of happy right now, or I'm going to give you something to be happy about. Go have fun. <laughs> As if I could buy their happiness. As if, if I can provide this sort of thing, that would be enough. Church, it's crazy. But we get on this treadmill of bigger, nicer, more, more luxurious, all this stuff. We've got to pay for it, got to pay for it, pay for it, pay to have our happy. What would it look like for you to say this morning to drive a stake in the sand and say, yeah, I got enough? It's totally countercultural. It's the opposite of what the world tells you. Every commercial, you deserve it. Bigger, better, nicer, more. Go get it. Back in the fall of 2019, we did a message series we called Now One More. Some of you were here. During Now One More, we examined our mission, our values, and our purpose and at the conclusion of that, we announced about this thing that's coming out of the earth that you see right now behind me, and you're going to see some video of it to kind of see what God is doing down here by right by my screen. And in fact, to entice some of you, I'm going to try again throwing some of these balls. In fact, they were making fun of my arm, saying I couldn't make it to the third row when I just did. And they said that I couldn't throw it all the way up there. Oh! I was trying to hit that pole. <laughs> yeah. Good catch. I would encourage you to go get one of these. They're not real, but they look cool. And go take a tour of what God is doing out there. It's amazing, this vision of a, thousand, a million and one aha moments of, 
of God doing something in the facility that will, that will honor the community and God far and wide. Go, please go by and do that. But here's the point I want to make. At the conclusion of that message series, we cast this vision, and people in the church had an opportunity to make a commitment to help make this happen, cash-free. 343 people made pledges that went up to $5.6 million. That's a lot of generosity. It was incredible. We have a gap of 5.6 to 8, because 8 is the cost to pay for it cash. And that's what we want to do. That's the goal, to have no debt to Mr. Mesterville. But here's the point I want to make. At the end of that series, there was one particular gentleman who said, you know what, I'm going to rearrange my financial portfolio so I can be generous for God's purposes and to make a difference in the lives of people for generations to come way after me when little Gibson's a young man and little Olivia is a full-grown woman. And he did. And some of his friends said, what did you just do? It's like he opted out of the club because now he's no longer going and doing those things with them and he's not getting that like they're doing and changing his family. And they said, what are you just doing? And he told them, and said, you're crazy. And I will tell you, the world will always tell you you're crazy to say that what you have in your hand is enough and you don't have to have bigger and nicer and better and more, but you can be a part of an eternal thing that God is doing in the kingdom. It's so counterculture. But I want to ask you again, just in your life, whatever, whatever it means to you, what would it look like for you to say enough? We're going to look at a story in the Bible. We're going to walk you through it. Luke chapter 19, about a man who had a lot of stuff. And it's really not about him. It's about God's call upon our life to figure out what it means for you and me, each of us individually, to say enough. I, I, I got enough. And here, here's the story. I'm going to walk, kind of walk through it verse by verse, beginning at verse uh, 1, chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho. He was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Let's stop right there. We learn a whole lot in two verses. Most important thing that we learn is that Zacchaeus understood money. He was good with money. He knew how to make money. Some of you are good with money. It's a gift. Don't be embarrassed about it. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel shame. That is a gift. You just understand it. You know how it multiplies. You know how to make it work. Zacchaeus had a knack for it. Now, another thing that we understand here is that Rome occupied Israel where Zacchaeus lived. And Rome had figured out as an oppressive country, when you take over another country, don't exile them, just tax them. And if you tax them, you'll get more money than when you exile them. And so they tax them. And the way they do it is they identify someone that's a local to make them a tax collector. And that was Zacchaeus. And because they would know the lay of the land, who had property, who had money, who had acreage, who had sheep, uh, who had cattle, and you would go and tell the Romans, and then they would go and tax that person. And the fellow Jews hated the tax collectors because they colluded with the Roman oppressor. They hated them. Sometimes the Israelites would go to a tax collector like Zacchaeus and say, listen, hey, have my back. Don't tell them. Don't tell them how much wealth I have. Don't tell them. They would say, well, okay, I won't tell them, but 
you got to give me something because they're going to expect something from me. So they would give Zacchaeus something under the table to keep him quiet. Often those Zacchaeus tax collectors would tell him anyway. Everybody hated this kind of guy. But long ago, he had given up. Hey, I don't need friends. I don't need to have a lot of community. I got wealth. I'm rich. I'm good at it. I got all. Just stay away from me. I'm good at just being rich. But then something happens in Zacchaeus. And all of a sudden, that wealth begins to fade on him. And he realizes something's missing in his life. He starts gnawing on him on the inside. That stuff, just having more stuff wasn't going to satisfy him. So he sees and hears about this guy, this man, this rabbi, this, this spiritual teacher. They named Jesus. And he says, you know, I want to go check this guy out. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, again, here in two verses, there's a lot of detail. This is the only place this story is in the Bible. You will not find it any other place. We strongly believe that Zacchaeus himself told this story to Luke, lots of detail, and Luke wrote every detail down because there's so much detail. I don't have time to unpack all the detail, but here's a few things to notice. One thing it says is Zacchaeus, uh, he ran. In ancient Middle East, wealthy, rich, powerful men, they don't run. It's beneath their dignity. You walk with a certain sort of gait. You also have robes. It's hard to run in a robe. Zacchaeus runs. He really wants to see Jesus. Second thing you see is Zacchaeus, he climbed a tree. In that day, rich, wealthy, powerful people don't climb trees. Especially in public, it's way beneath them. He climbs a tree. He really wants to see Jesus. And maybe in the tree he'll be hidden, and the people that hate him won't see him. The Bible tells us here in verse 3 that he was short. What's the old song say? Zacchaeus was a, what's the word? Wee little man. Hey, all the men will agree with me in here. Ladies, if you don't understand this, no man wants to be known as wee. Years ago, I got to meet Jim Brown when one of my sons, youngest son, was getting kind of uh, honored in this Hall of Fame thing over here for sports over here in, uh, over in Dallas, Texas. And I got pretty big hands. Some of you comment about the size of my hands sometimes. I could palm a basketball when I was in the seventh grade. My hands, I just, but when I shook the hand of Jim Brown, my hand felt wee. I didn't like that feeling. <laughs> It's a miserable feeling to feel wee. And maybe that's why Zacchaeus was so drawn to money. Because money made him feel like a big man. I got money. I got influence. I am somebody. 
Hey, look, there goes that guy. He's got money. He must be somebody. Yeah, that's me. I'm somebody. Made him walk a little taller. No one knows what I'm talking about, do you? But all of a sudden, he's beginning to feel this little emptiness within him, and it's not really kind of doing it for him. And he decides, you know what, man, there's got to be something else. He's feeling a little bit empty. And so he, he goes and climbs a tree, and it says in verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, and he said, Zacchaeus, and I can see Zacchaeus, Jesus, no, shh, shh, shh. everybody's going to know I'm here. They, they hate me. They hate me. He said, hey, Jesus, come down from that tree immediately. I got to stay at your house today. And I can imagine all the people around me going, what? Jesus, of all the people, you want to go to his house? Of all, of all the rabbis, of all the spirits, of all the good, holy, rolling little church people that are showing, the people that come to worship the temple every week, they come every week, they're here every time, and yet you could go to their house, but you're going to go to the house of that cheat, of that filthy, corrupt bureaucrat who pockets his own, really? Here's the good news. If you feel like a financial failure for whatever reason, if you feel like you've made a mess of your financial life because of debt, poor decisions, if you're someone secretly or privately, you're carrying a guilt because you've been padding the overtime, you've been showing up late and leaving early but getting the whole check you've been kind of you know the taxes you know just you know just 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 you, you know you know what I'm talking about they don't but you know what you've been doing with the taxes or maybe actually you've been in jail for cheating or fraud or embezzlement hear the good news there's nothing that you have done or made a mess of, that Jesus is not willing to come into your financial house and help you get cleaned up, to experience forgiveness, to experience mercy, to experience his truth, to have a plan, a strategy, to get healthy, to get whole in this area which messes up so many families and so many marriages and so many lives. He wants to come to your house. He's so full of grace. He just loves you so much to see you suffer in his way. And then it says in the next verse, all the people saw this and they begin to mutter. They go, what? What? He's going to be the guest and they mutter. They just start muttering. I love that little word mutter. Say mutter. <laughs> it's a cool sounding word. And you don't see it very often in the scripture. But when you see it, it's usually the Pharisees mutter. And why were they muttering? Because Jesus ticked them off. He did something they didn't like. Sometimes it says the Sadducees muttered. This is the only place in the New Testament where it says all the people muttered. It's the only place. And why they mutter? Because he went to that guy's house and had a meal with him. And I'm just wondering, what happened in that house when they had a conversation? 
What happened between Zacchaeus and Jesus? What did Jesus, what was the conversation like? You ever wonder, you ever read this story before and wonder, hey, what did they talk about? What was going on? We kind of have an idea at the end of the story, but I think it kind of went like this. Hey, Zacchaeus, you're really good with money, man. Thumbs up, kudos. You get money, you understand how it works. I remember when you first started off, don't you? You had to walk everywhere you went. And then you started getting a little extra and you got a donkey. And that was pretty cool to get a donkey. And then you got tired of the donkey. The thrill wore off and you got that camel, that very first camel. You remember when you got the very first camel, Zacchaeus? For you and me, it's kind of like getting a Hummer or some SUV or some kind of high end, okay? And, but, but then, you know, that, that wasn't enough. And you went and got the double hump camel. You know, that real specialized version with a little safety seat for the kid right in the middle. You know, you can pack them in right there, you know. And all of a sudden, the, the new camel smell wore off, though. So then you had to have a fleet of camels. Hey, hey, Zacchaeus, can I ask you a question? Um, how many camels are enough? Hey, Zacchaeus, I, I remember when you had just shabby clothes. Remember? remember when you had all these shabby clothes? And then when you started making just a little bit of money, you went out and got some nice silk robes. And not just one, but two or three or five. You had, a whole, you had a whole closet full of silk robes. But then you got foolish and went and did this little test, and you found out your color was not summer, that you are a winter. And all your robes were tan and dark and beige. And so you had to get rid of all that stuff and go buy some bright, more colorful robes and everything. Now you got a closet, but you can't even wear them all. Hey, let me ask you a question, Zacchaeus. Uh, how, how many robes are, are enough? And Zacchaeus, when you started off, I remember, and you do too, you started off with a tent. All you had was a tent. And then when you started making a little bit more, you had a house. And then you bought that property there in Jerusalem, there on the riverfront. You had the riverfront property. And now, today, you have the biggest, nicest house in Jerusalem. I mean, it's, it's amazing. But i got to ask you a question, Zacchaeus. How big is big enough? You know, as I kiss, I would tell you, my friend, you can know joy and contentment right now. You can know a peace. You can live like this instead of like this. Just death. But, but you got to surrender and come follow me. And if you will surrender your life and come follow me and step into the generosity zone, step out of here and step into here. See, this is how Zacchaeus was living. Can you put the first graph of the for number four up there on the screen, please? This is how Zacchaeus was living. This is how most of us live. The, most of us live, hey, this is what I have. This is the stuff that I have. I got this, I got this, I got this, I got to, but that's not enough. I got to get to there. I got to get to that line up there. I got to have, if I don't get to it, because if I get to enough, then I'll be okay. And between having enough is the discontent zone. Zacchaeus, you're always living in this state of discontent. And what happens is this, that bar just keeps on moving up, and you never, ever have enough, and you always are discontent. More, more, more. Zacchaeus, when will it be enough? Zacchaeus' wheels are turning. 
He's processing all this information. And then something very dramatic happens. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stands up. At a dinner party, hospitality and civility are very important. And you would appoint it, you would stand up and you would say, Hey, thank you everybody for coming. Here's our honored guest. But Zacchaeus doesn't do that. He stands up and he blurts out, Okay, okay, Lord, I hear you. Here, I hear you. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And everybody's going, Mrs. Zacchaeus is saying, uh, shouldn't we have talked about this before you stood up and said this? You know, the kids are going, does that mean I don't get my own camel? I mean, I mean, I mean, everybody's just kind of, ah, panic. What are you doing? It's so countercultural. Zacchaeus says, yep. That's what I'm going to do. I've been touched by this man named Jesus. I see I've got enough. I've got enough. In fact, this is exactly what Zacchaeus says right here. Can you put this last screen up there? Can you do this? Very last one, generosity zone in there. Beverly, can you do that? Generosity zone. Here's what he says. Okay, here's what I have. And actually, my enough is less than what I have. I'm not keeping pursuing. What I have is more than enough. And I'm going to live going forward in that generosity zone, not discontentment. And Jesus stands up. Instead of saying, thank you for the dinner, he looks into the eyes of Zacchaeus, whose eyes are just full of tears, and he says, Today salvation has come into this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Church, do not miss the power of those words. Every single word in that passage has power. First of all, he says, you're a son of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah was where the Israel Jewish people began. The mother and father of the faith. Nobody had told Zacchaeus in a long time that he was a son of Abraham. They said he's a son of something else. But to say the son of Abraham was just beauty to it. And then he said salvation has come to this house. It doesn't mean he earned his salvation. You can't buy your salvation. It's a gift of grace. You can't buy it. You can't earn a place. Jesus stopped at the tree before Zacchaeus ever did anything. He was looking for Zacchaeus. Jesus is looking for you. His love is so great for you. And salvation doesn't mean I got a ticket to heaven. It's more than that. It means wholeness and healing in the here and now. And Zacchaeus is getting rid of the treadmill of, i got to have more, i got to hold on, i got to have on, i got to have this. And living in this state of wholeness and peace and joy and the generosity of God and this little corrosion of the selfishness and greed on his heart, he's being delivered from it. Let me ask you again. What would it look like for you to say, enough 
Dallas and I were kind of talking about this on our way home from Arkansas last week. We went to Hot Springs for a little weekend getaway. And on the way back, I asked her, I said, honey, you remember all the different houses we lived in? And so we recounted all the places we lived in in our 42 years of marriage. And the very first place we lived in was a little 800, 1200 square foot loft apartment. And then the tornado came and took it away, and we were in a 200, 200, I kid you not, 200, 200 square foot, 50 at the most, little mobile home that was like sardine can on the outside. You could hear people pulling the toilet paper in the next to you. That means you could hear other things too. You get the idea. <laughs> we're talking, it was bad. And then finally after that, we moved into a little house where the converted garage was tucked, tucked, converted into a little sunken den, little, little, little 1100, and, then, then, and today we live in this big custom-made home. Plenty of room, many of you to come spend the night. Don't offer. That's not an offer. Yeah. Let me ask you something. As she and I talked, let me ask you something. Do you think there's any correlation between the joy in our marital journey and the square footage of the size of the house that we lived in? No correlation at all. Some of the most joy-filled memories and the greatest parts of our life were in that little 250-square-foot mobile home that you could hear everything going on down in there. And I just want to ask you again, what does it mean for you to say, I got enough, and to get off the treadmill and just chasing more, 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 bigger, more, 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 more. It's a trap. It's a trap. I love this story from AA, and this is how we'll kind of get to wrapping up. There was this drunk who just had to get sober. He was so tired, sick and tired and sick and tired and sick and tired and sick and tired. Just like some of you are sick and tired of being drunk and inebriated on the more, the bigger, the nicer, all the, all, the more, just gotta have it, and just on that treadmill. He finally just really wanted to get some. He said, God, would you please deliver me from this drink? I can't stop it. Would you give me sobriety? And God said, yes, I will, but you have to surrender to me. Will you surrender to me? He said, yes, God, I surrender all my life to you. I give you everything, God. I surrender. I need your peace and your wholeness. Will you give it to me? Yes, but you have to surrender it all. Okay, God, I will. How much money do you have? Will you surrender your money? Yes, God, I'll surrender my money. He takes out his wallet. He has $50. God, and he gives it to him right now. He said, but God, how am I going to put gas in my car? He said, oh, you got a car? You got to surrender your car. God, I surrender my car to you. I just want to be sober. I just want to be well. I want to be whole. I surrender my car, but God, now how am I going to get to my job? Oh, you have a job? I didn't know you had a job. You got to surrender your job. Okay, God, I give you my job. You can have my job, God. You can have it. But God, how am I going to take care of my mortgage? Oh, you have a house? You got to surrender your house. You got to give me your house. Okay, God, I give you my house. I surrender. But God, how am I going to take care of my family? And God says, you surrender your whole life to me. I mean every part of your being to me. And I will be with you 
and I will take care of you. And we'll do this together. And I will let you spend my money. And I will let you drive my car. And I will let you work at my job. And I will let you live in my house. Because in the end, it all comes back to me anyway, you know. And I'll let you use it as you share it with others freely. And I will bring healing to you. Because we've got to surrender. With love in my heart, for you as your pastor, I want to ask you again, are you living like this? Or are you living like this? Are you tithing to God as a demonstration of trust and generosity? Are you just kind of skirting around the edges? Are you living in the generosity zone or the discontent zone? Are you just watching this thing go up behind us over here? Or are you generously participating in the new thing that God is doing for future generations. I want to close in prayer. I invite you to kind of just be still for a second. And if anybody here needs to ask Jesus into their life to just come into the financial mess you have made, maybe the business is going down the tubes. You just made some some decisions during COVID that just, you were trying to do the right thing, but you got desperate and just kind of, you know, kind of went over the edge on some debt, and you kind of made this deal as a bad deal, and you find yourself in fear. You're just living in fear for your family that you're going to lose it all, and just, could, could you please just invite Jesus into the middle of it right now? Ask for his guidance, ask for his healing touch, and just and just turn it all over to him. Put, put Jesus in charge of your financial portfolio. That doesn't mean you give up your brain, but put him in charge and partner with him. Ask for his help. Or maybe somebody here needs to ask for forgiveness. Financial forgiveness. Because choices made, decisions made. A little on the edge, a little across the line. And you just want to get it right. You want to make it right. You want to pay people back. You want to get it right like Zacchaeus did. God, I, I just want to make things right financially with the people in my life I borrowed money from that gave me something. I just want to make it right. Or maybe someone, you've got a clenched fist, you've got a clenched heart just living with greed and the selfishness, and you just want to very slowly open up your fingers and say, God, I want to choose to live in the generosity zone like you who's so generous with your love and your grace and your kindness and your mercy. I want to be like you, God. I trust you. You are enough for me, God. If anyone who can hear my voice online or in the house have made that decision for the very first time, 
and you're ready to take that step of baptism to profess your faith in Jesus publicly and be baptized, please put it on the chat. If you're online in the house, stop and let us know. Speak to us and we'll help you take that next step. Now would you stand with me and we're going to finish together with this prayer of generosity. Here's how we're ending. Will you put the prayer of generosity on the screen, please? Would you please say this all together as a body of faith online and in the house? God, grant us a joy-filled experience of sacrificial generosity that will leave a legacy for generations to come so that now and forever in our Pathway Church family, there is always enough love and grace for one more. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget to take a tour and pray over the space before you're gone. Bye, everybody. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.